0: Welcome to the Drug History Podcast, Series 1, Episode 9. In our last episode, we looked at drug use in Hellenistic and Roman times. In this episode, we look at drug use in the Middle Ages. For clarification purposes, the medieval period started with the fall of the Roman Empire in 476 AD and lasted until the 15th century. As we saw in our last discussion of drug use in the Roman Empire, The influence of Greek medicine, notably the Hippocratic corpus, lasted well beyond the Greek Empire into the 19th century. This was predicated on health being determined by the proper balance of four humours blood, black bile, yellow bile and phlegm. With the benefit of modern understanding of medicine this is now known to have been false. In medieval times, a true progression in scientific inquiry appears to have stalled and, in some cases, regressed. Rachel Hager, writing in the journal Hat Views, describes the situation this way. The glory that was Greece and the grandeur that was Rome ended when Rome fell to Germanic tribes in the 5th century AD. The ancient Romans, Greeks and Egyptians had pushed forward medical knowledge but after the demise of these civilizations artistic, cultural and scientific outputs were sadly lacking when compared to both earlier and later times. Medical knowledge stagnated in the Middle Ages and did not develop until the 17th or 18th centuries. Hegel provides more contextual information that suggests the cause for this stagnation and decline. She says the center of Western learning shifted to Constantinople, now Istanbul, the capital of the Byzantine Empire, which had been Christian since the 4th century AD with the conversion of the Roman Emperor Constantine. The church quickly gained converts and power throughout Western Europe. The Roman Catholic Church effectively dominated what direction the medical world took. Any view different from established Roman Catholic view was labeled heresy and punished accordingly. The Roman Catholic Church stated that illnesses were punishments from God, and those who were ill were so because they were sinners. No one contradicted such worldviews it was accepted. Suffering was seen as part of the human condition. As people became obsessed with their souls, they neglected their bodies. Medicine became a matter of faith, and prescriptions became prayers. Medicine became steeped in superstition. Ideas about the origin and the cure of disease were based on factors such as destiny, sin, and heavenly influences. Therefore, in this period, there was no tradition of scientific medicine and observations went hand in hand with spiritual and religious influences. Medicine during the Middle Ages was composed of a mixture of existing ideas from antiquity and spiritual influences. Standard medical knowledge was based chiefly upon surviving Greek and Roman texts preserved in monasteries and elsewhere. This makes for a sad picture of the state of medical understanding. Some of the views described by Hager persist to this day. Despite these views, however, we still find that use of drugs for medicinal and recreational purposes persisted. Two drugs that we find in common usage are opium and alcohol. We find both of these in some of the more effective treatments inherited by medieval populations from earlier ages the opiate-based painkillers. The most common of these was theriac, which contained opium, alcohol, pepper, and rosewater. The opium and alcohol had a sedative effect, but the pepper and rose water were added to balance the humours in compliance with the Hippocratic corpus. According to the Irish podcast, theriac was addictive because of the opium it contained and was regulated in the kingdom of France perhaps for this reason. By the late medieval period, it was generally regarded as the most potent of cures available, with many believing it to be imbued with magical properties. In the 14th century, it was widely regarded as one of the best treatments for the Black Death, although this is likely to have been more due to its pain killing than any antimicrobial properties. Beer was also used in Europe at this time, It was most often drunk in the form of Groot. In England, Groot was a combination of alcohol with herbs, commonly including Sweet Gale, Mugwort, Yarrow, Ground Ivy, horehound, and Kaluna Heather. Groot varied somewhat, each Groot producer introducing different herbs to produce unique flavors and effects. Other adjunct herbs include juniper berries ginger caraway seed aniseed nutmeg cinnamon and mint we find variations of the beer formula in scotland iceland bavaria romania and other european countries it is still brewed today although hops have replaced a lot of the bitter herbs mandrakes a member of the nightshade, a family that we've encountered before in Assyrian times, were also used in Europe for both superstitious and medicinal purposes. They were regarded as an epitome of miraculous plants, with numerous mystical and magic powers. People took mandrake root for treating stomach ulcers, colic, constipation, asthma, hay fever, convulsions, rheumatism and whooping cough. It was also used to trigger vomiting, cause sleepiness or sedation, reduce pain and increase interest in sexual activity. The fresh leaves and leaf extracts were applied directly to the skin for treating skin ulcers. Another member of the nightshade family, Belladonna was also in common use. It got the name Belladonna in Renaissance Italy because of its use by women to enlarge their pupils, which they found more alluring, but it had been in use even in medieval times. It was also used as an anesthetic, antidepressant, and to induce a state of ecstatic frenzy and erotic hallucinations. For those with an interest in the pharmacological properties of Belladonna, it contains the parasympathomimetic substances hyosiamine, atropine and scopolamine. As you might imagine, there were other plants in use. These include bay laurel, jimson weed or devil's trumpet, valerian, corn poppy, aconite, the herb of grace, agate, henbane, motherwort, white bryony, cowbane, hummel, and cloves. These weeds, herbs, leaves, roots, seeds, bark, and mushrooms were pressed into peels most famously in oriental happy pills, They were also applied as suppositories or ointments. Frankincense, nutmeg, and psychedelic mushrooms also feature among the psychoactive drugs in use. Some such as valerian and clove oil remain in usage to this day. We use valerian or we see valerian in the commercial product comes where it is used as an anxiolytic while we see clove oil in use for dental pain. The medievalist website provides an insight into another frequently misused drug in the Middle Ages, cannabis in the context of the Arab world. In Egypt, this was both used and the subject of much debate. As in the rest of the Arabic world, it was referred to as the herb, but had nicknames like shrug of emotion, shrub of understanding, peace of mind, branches of bliss, and thought muscle. It was used to produce the hallucinogenic drug hashish. Cannabis was cultivated around Egypt and sold openly in markets by the 13th century. The plant could be turned into hashish by a couple of methods. Firstly, the leaves could be baked and turned into a paste which was then sold in pure form. Another way was to have the leaves dried, toasted, and husked, to which sugar and sesame were added to make a food that could be chewed. According to Franz Rosenthal, who wrote the book, The Herb, Hashish versus Medieval Muslim Society, and which was published in 1971, there were both pro-Hashish and anti-Hashish views in Egypt during the medieval ages. al akbari a seemingly pro-Hashish writer from the 13th century, described its effects in the following words. Only intelligent and well-to-do people use Hashish. When taking it, a person should consume only the lightest of foods and the noblest of sweets. He should sit in the most pleasant of places and bring around the most distinguished of friends. In the end, he will go on and be concerned with thinking about sweet and food and assume all of this is reality, whereas in fact, he is asleep. Another positive writer claimed By its subtlety, it clothes the dull person with frivolous wit so that he becomes smart and a good companion, in contrast to wine, which is nasty in its effects and causes fear of being unexpectedly caught by authorities. At the same time, one could find many others who condemned its use, Uh, like a poem that says, Say to those who eat hashish in ignorance, You live the worst life imaginable when you eat it. The worth of a man is a jewel. Why then, you fools, do you sell it for a bit of grass? While medieval physicians knew about the health benefits of cannabis and they used it as a diuretic, for instance, they often also warned people against its bad effects, especially in hashish. A 14th century Egyptian, as Zakashi, gives a complete list of the problems the drug caused. He says, it destroys the mind, cuts short the reproductive capacity, produces elephantiasis, passes on leprosy, attracts disease, produces tremulousness, makes the mouth smell foul, dries up the semen, causes the hair of the eyebrows to fall out, burns the blood, causes cavities in the teeth, brings forth the hidden disease, harms the intestines, makes the limbs inactive, a shortage of breath, generates strong illusions, diminishes the powers of the soul, reduces modesty, makes the complexion yellow, blackens the teeth, riddles the liver with holes, inflames the stomach and leaves in its wake a bad colour in the mouth as well as a film and diminished vision in the eye and increased pensiveness in the imagination. It belongs to blameworthy characteristics of hashish that it generates in those who eat it, laziness and sluggishness. It turns a lion into a beetle and makes a proud man humble and a healthy man sick. If he eats, he cannot get enough. If he is spoken to, he does not listen. It makes the well-spoken person dumb and the sound person, stupid. It takes away every manly virtue and puts an end to youthful prowess. Furthermore, it destroys the mind, stunts all natural talent, and blunts the sharpness of the mental endowment. The website continues, throughout the period there was much debate among Muslim scholars on whether or not hashish was forbidden, and the viewpoints differed sharply. Some believed that because it was intoxicating like wine, it should not be allowed, while others pointed out that since the Quran and the early sayings of the Prophet never mentioned its use, it should not be considered illegal. The debate over its legality would even involve topics such as whether a man could ask his wife for a divorce while high, to which the answer was yes, and whether it was permitted to give it to animals, to which the answer was no, unless you were doing it to make the animals eat so that you could fatten them up. It is reported that by the 15th century, cannabis was openly sold and used in society, much to the dismay of those who were not in favour of its use. Amid this mix of superstition, pseudoscience and forced religious observance and relics from previous ages, It is fitting that we conclude with a fascinating description of a medieval anaesthetic from the british medical journal we've substituted modern english words for the old english so that listeners can understand the title of the paper says uh, how to make a drink that men called dweil to make a man sleep whilst men cut him in other words how to make an anesthetic called dweil and here's the formula take three spoonfuls of the bile of a ball for a man and for a woman of a soul three spoonfuls of hemlock juice three spoonfuls of wild bryony three spoonfuls of lettuce three spoonfuls of opium three spoonfuls of handbane and three spoonfuls of vinegar Mix them all together and boil them a little and put them in a glass vessel well-stopped. Put thereof three spoonfuls into a bottle of good wine and mix it well together. No doubt the opium and the wine were guaranteed to put the patient to sleep. As for some of the other ingredients, there is considerable doubt on the need for their inclusion. That concludes today's episode of the drug history podcast see you next time